OWC Radio number 33. Tim Robertson, OWC Radio. This is the podcast about all things technology. We like to focus on, obviously, Macintosh computers, the iOS devices, uh, hard drives, memory, RAM, pretty much anything technology. If you want to contact the show, you can send us an email, podcast at maxsales.com, or you can leave us a message at 1-801-938-938. Five 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 nine, And, of course, we are at www.owcradio.com. I also encourage you to go up to maxsales.com and find all the great products that we're selling to make the best computer you have even better. I mean, you need a bigger hard drive, you need more RAM, we've got you covered. Let's jump right into some news. First thing for me, yep, I bought the new iPhone. I know, I know, I know. I said I was going to wait, but hey, if you've been listening to me this long, you're probably not surprised, right? (laughs) I mean, uh, so let's talk about the iPhone. Number one, my likes and dislikes. Um, Dislike cost me uh, $299, and while, yes, it is better than the iPhone 3GS I was using, I don't think it's such a significant change so far for me that it justifies the price. Now, that's just me. A lot of people were talking about how much better this screen is than the iPhone 3GS screen. And it is better. Don't get me wrong. But it's not $300 worth better. It's just not. Not for me, anyways. Um, It it looks nice, though. Don't get me wrong. I, I do like it. A lot of people have asked me, have you seen the signal drops? Have you had any drop calls by holding the iPhone wrong. Hmm. You know, I have to imagine the iPhone 4 was in development for a while. They probably subjected it to different conditions, extreme cold, extreme heat, a lot of moisture in the air. Um checking reception in in different areas, how it handles connections and I'm sure they they put a lot of thought and effort into the suite of tests that Apple puts in a brand new version of the iPhone through before it hits the market. It seems to me that the only thing Apple didn't do is have someone hold the phone in their left hand. Hello. I, I'm I'm dumbfounded. I could use stronger language. I won't, obviously. I am dumbfounded. Now, have I personally seen this? Very minor. And I really have to work at it to to replicate what I've seen online. But really, nobody is left-handed there at Apple? Hello? Hello? Oi. Now, one problem I am having is a proximity sensor. 
Now, basically, it's a little sensor in the front of the iPhone that when you put it up to your face, the screen goes dark. And that's kind of important so you don't accidentally push buttons while you're talking on the phone. Mine doesn't seem to work all the time. I thought I had a defective phone at first because it kept hanging up on people. Or it kept muting them. They Well, it was hitting mute on the phone. I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. I moved the phone away from me and how the heck did the mute button get pushed? <sighs> so I'm not really happy with that. Now, I'm going to wait for an update to the phone software-wise to see if it corrects these problems because the proximity sensor problem I have seen reported all over Apple's discussion board, so I know they're aware of this issue. And I'm going to wait for the next software update to see if it fixes the problem. If not, I'll be returning my phone to get another one. One of the new features that I'm really liking, but you can only take advantage of it if two conditions are met, a, they're on an iPhone 4, and B, you're both on a Wi-Fi network. And that's FaceTime. I wasn't expecting to enjoy FaceTime quite as much as I actually do. It's really, really cool. Now, I've tried it with two other iPhone users, a couple of friends of mine, Mark Rudd and Sam Levin. Um, I had some issues when I first tried to talk with Mark Rudd. Now, I don't know if it was his network or my network. We tried it twice. The first time worked. The second time it didn't work, but the issue was on my end. And it was a local network issue. With Sam Levin, it just worked perfect. In fact, I called him from an area downtown where it had some, uh, and actually it was kind of a weak connection, to be honest. It was on the other side of a river, uh, a, a free Wi-Fi hotspot. And I initiated a FaceTime call with Sam Levin, and it worked. It it wasn't hiccupy. It wasn't there was no latency. It just worked, and it was pretty amazing. So that was pretty cool. Now, my wife has my iPhone 3GS. Um, she was using my iPhone original iPhone, and it was time for her to get something better. So she has the 3GS. But to be honest, after playing with FaceTime. I kind of want my wife to get an iPhone 4 now so we can use FaceTime when we chat because I'm usually in the office and she's usually at home when we're talking on the cell phone. And they both have Wi-Fi areas, uh, Wi-Fi uh, coverage. So we can do FaceTime. I kind of want to do that. I think that would be very, very cool. I also spend um, time in hotels occasionally, usually when I'm going to either Macworld Expo or Other World Computing up in Woodstock, Illinois, and in both those areas, Wi-Fi. So I could talk to my wife and kids, FaceTime on my phone. Now, yes, I've been able to do this for a long time with a laptop, but to be quite honest, it's kind of a pain, more so on her part than mine, to open the laptop, sign into iChat, try to get everyone crowded around kind of a bulky laptop. With the iPhone, boom, it's just right there. It's really cool. It's also really cool that while you're talking to someone, if, for instance, when I was talking to Sam Levin and I was downtown and I was explaining, you know, where I was, you push a button on the front of the phone and it switches to the other side camera. In other words, a camera that's pointing outward. And that's got even a better resolution than the front-facing camera. So now instead of Sam seeing me, 
he's seeing what I'm seeing, or at least what's in front of the camera. So I was showing him, you know, here's the river I was just talking about. Here's a building over there. Oh, by the way, over here is my building. There's cars in the parking lot, la-di-da-di-da. You see that guy over there looking at me kind of weird. Yep, he could see him. That sort of thing. It works both in landscape and portrait mode, which is really cool. Uh, I personally like, I think, holding the iPhone so it's, uh, instead of up and down, it's left and right in uh, widescreen format, if you will. It looks better. And it felt more natural to have a conversation the other way, but I like the look of the other one. So it's still, it's really neat. One of the things that I I wasn't expecting to like as much, and that's just kind of the the feel of the iPhone 4. It really feels like a solid device. More so than the iPhone 3GS, to be honest. I found that reading on it is pretty much the same as with the iPhone 3GS. I did download iBooks, but as I've said before, I'm not going to start reading books on my iPhone. I've got an iPad and I've got laptops. I don't need to read books on my phone. I don't know. I... $499 is still a lot of money. I'm sorry, $299. $499 is a lot too. (laughs) But $299 is a lot of money. And I'm just not seeing that much of a benefit to justify the purchase over my iPhone 3GS. It's faster, yes. It's got a better screen, yes. FaceTime, very cool. But it's got some issues. I know a lot of people are having the left-handed covering the antenna, dropping calls issue. I'm having the proximity sensor problem and uh, some glass problems I've read online that I guess there's some chemical in there that needs time to heat up and I don't know. It, It didn't look good and I don't know. Apple says just give it a couple of days and that will go away. Um, really, I got to just sit here with my phone looking like crap, hoping that this goes away. Problem if you have a defective iPhone right now is good luck getting a replacement. Um, I got extremely lucky when I picked mine up. I went up to the AT&T store, uh, this week, uh, very early in the morning. They opened up two hours before I even usually get to work and they had iPhone. I got a 32 gigabyte version. And they were running out of the 16 really quick. They said that was selling, for them anyways, much faster than the 32s. And they didn't expect to have anything in stock past noon that day. So if you got a bad iPhone now, how long do you have to wait to get a replacement? That's kind of my feel right now. If I call Apple and tell them about my proximity sensor problem and they want to replace it, I'm going to get angry if I have to wait weeks to get a replacement. So if I were you, unless you actually have a need for a new iPhone, your old one's cracked or broken or you're on the first generation and and, uh, it's just not working right or whatever, if you don't have the need, I say wait a month or two. Seriously. Let some of these bugs get worked out. Let people like me who are the early adopters that's, well, you know, 
basically willing to to be beta testers for you guys. Let us deal with these problems. And then you come into the game in uh, the end of July, August, maybe September, and all these bugs are worked out. There's been a software update, so maybe Apple has fixed the sensor problem. Maybe Apple has fixed the antenna problem. And you don't have to worry about anything. Just a working iPhone 4 with none of those problems. That would be my suggestion. That was kind of what I was planning on doing, but yeah, didn't really work out that way, did it? Um, and I will get my wife an iPhone 4, but I'm going to wait at least a month or so. Just so I know these issues will probably be resolved. Let's talk about iOS iOS 4, specifically folders. I was really looking forward to this feature in iOS 4 because I literally had eight or nine pages on my iPhone and iPad, but they haven't released iOS 4 for the iPad yet, so I still have to wait. I was looking forward to being able to organize better all these apps. Now I've nailed it down to two pages with a bunch of folders. And to be honest, I can't find anything now. I really can't. Um, There's some games that I like to play, or I should say liked. I'm really not playing them much anymore on the iPhone. But there was games that I like to play on it that I consider the the A-plus titles, the ones that I know I'm going to go back and play these games more than once. Uh, that I really enjoyed, and I want to be able to find these quickly. So I put them all, There's, I limited myself to nine because that's as many apps that you can put in one folder. Um, I wanted to be able to quickly find them, so I named it A-plus titles or A-plus games. But the problem is I had so many games on the iPhone that I literally have like five or six folders now of nothing but games. Now, one folder is called Kid Games. Those are the games that, you know, my two-and-a-half and seven-year-old play more often than anything else on there. So I can get to those quickly. But other than those two, I'm not finding any... I'm, I'm, I'm using the search function to find games or other applications more than anything else. And that that's kind of a broken system. There, Just being able to stick something in a folder and name the folder isn't enough for me to really be able to organize content on my iPhone. There's got to be a better way. Maybe if I, I don't know. I don't know. It, maybe it's because the folders themselves are the same size as the old icons. If if the folders were maybe bigger and I can see more clearly what's inside the folders, I'm not sure. Maybe it's change and I don't take well to change sometimes, but that's not really true. I'm not sure. It's just the folders concept, while it sounds great, just isn't working for me all that well. So, well, I don't know. We'll see. I wonder if a dock would work, you know, like on the Mac OS, just a dock on, you rotate it like horizontally or something and, Yeah, that probably wouldn't work. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. All I do know is 
it's just not working out for me the way I thought it would. It's really not. One of the things that I do like, and I like this a lot, is the multitasking. Not the multitasking in and of itself because you can only do one thing on the iPhone at any one time anyway, so what's the big deal? Other than navigation and music, I don't really see the big point. But when you double-click the home button now, from the bottom, and this is kind of dock-like, um, this dock rises up, and there's all your running or at least suspended anim- uh, applications. This is really great for navigation, I, as I found out um, a week ago. worked great. I can jump back and forth between Navigon and my iPod or um, the weather or whatever I was doing at the time. And it was real fast. But even better, if you kind of scroll to the right, in other words, you make the screen go to the left. I know that sounds weird, but that's the way it works. Um, If I was in an application and I had music playing, if you swipe, if you double-click to bring that up and you swipe it to the right so you're moving to the left, it brings up a mini iPod controller. Uh, Pause, play, and uh, next track or previous track. That was really cool. I like that a lot. And I've started to get used to using that more than jumping to the actual iPad app. So if you haven't seen that yet, check it out. I think you'll like it. Okay, if you're wondering why the audio changed, it was because, well, actually two reasons. A, my computer started acting really flaky, and GarageBand uh, unexpectedly quit on me twice. Thus, I lost like the last 20 minutes of the show that I was recording. So, yeah, that's not fun. And uh, second, by the time I figured out what the problem was and corrected it, they started doing construction in the office right next to my studio. And they were very nice enough to keep it quiet yesterday when I was doing some voiceover video work for three different videos. But they really needed to get moving, and I couldn't tell them to be quiet again. Um, I'm moving to in a basement studio in the same building next week because it's just too loud up there. And uh, in the basement, I'm the only tenant. And on two sides is foundation walls. On the other, on the third wall, is what used to be a huge bank vault. It's still a bank vault. There's just nothing in it other than some papers and stuff like that. So... Um, I decided to take my iPhone and go outside and finish the show here. But to do so, I'm going to need to break up my recordings into smaller bits. So I'll see how the editing process goes. Here's the thing. It's a podcast. It's not live radio. And as such, there's really no rules. We We make this up as we go along. Not to to make myself sound important or anything like that, but I've been podcasting longer than almost anybody. And the one true constant that I found about podcasting is there's no rules. We can do what we want. This is why I always encourage people who listen to podcasts, if you're interested in it, just do it. Get out there and start making your own shows, really. You need GarageBand or some other recording software, if you have an iPhone, you can record the show like I'm doing right now on your iPhone. It's amazing. One of the problems with recording the show this way, though, is I I don't have my laptop in front of me, thus I don't have my notes. 
I have uh, pretty extensive notes of, of the topics that I wanted to touch on on this episode. And without having those notes, hmm, I don't have the best memory sometimes, you know. I'm a guy. I can't remember dates. Um, I'm constantly asking my wife, what are we doing this weekend again? Because <laughs> she knows I don't. But one of the topics that I had been talking about for 20 minutes, and I'm going to cut that way down here, was Hulu. Hulu is finally released for the iPhone, and I think for the iPod, or I'm sorry, the iPad as well, but again, I'm not in front of my computer, so I can't verify that, but I think it was released for the iPad and the iPhone. Here's my problem with Hulu. It's $20, or I'm sorry, it's $10.999 per month subscription. And you still have to watch ads. Really? You're going to charge me $120 a year and I still have to watch ads? Look, if you wanted to release Hulu for free, that's ad-supported, but without the huge back catalog of content that you're offering in the free, free version, I would have no problem with that. And a premium service for $9.99 a month, ad-free. That, I could, I could do that. I would get into that. I'd be happy to pay $9.99 a month for that. But I'm not going to spend $9.99 a month for ostensibly television content. They have some movies, but if you want to watch movies streaming, that's what Netflix is for. I pay $7.99 a month to Netflix for that. So with Hulu, I think of Hulu as more television programming. And I don't think I'm alone in that. That's not worth $10 a month to me or $120 a year. And I still have to watch ads. Now, look, people make content they want to get paid. I understand that. Hulu's a company. Um, they don't. They can't offer everything for free. Uh, they do have the free offerings that you can watch free of charge online, but that's ad-supported. So if I'm going to watch it on my mobile device for $10 a month, I don't expect to have to watch ads. Am I alone in that? I don't think I am. All that being said, though, I do think Hulu is going to see a lot of success on the iOS devices, the iPod Touch, the iPhone, the iPad. I think they're going to see a lot of success. And the reason is people want to watch content on their devices. I I do. I know I do. And I know most of you do as well because I can read and everyone's talking about it online. But all this begs the question, how long before Apple themselves, through iTunes, and thus through your iOS devices, starts to offer a subscription service in which you can watch any movie and any television show for $9.99 a month, unlimited viewing? I think that would be fantastic. Now, I think Apple would be very, very smart to include as part of the service the ability to download and watch within a set number of time, kind of like they do with the television or movie rentals now. Right now, if you rent a movie for, say, $3.99, as soon as you start watching it, you've got like, I don't know, what is it, 24 to 48 hours to watch it? I think it's 24 hours. So within that time frame, you can watch the movie or the television show. But beyond that, your your rental runs out and you don't get to watch anymore. Now, that content is actually downloaded. It's not streaming. 
If Apple offered a nine dollars and ninety nine cents, I would even say a fourteen ninety nine. That's about the the most I would be willing to pay for a service like this. But it would allow you to download, even with the same restrictions. If you download it, you you have to watch it within I don't know twenty twenty four to forty eight hours before it expires, and then you have to re-download it again or something. The reason I say that is because. Let's say I'm going for I'm, I'm going to go to MacWorld Expo and I'm going to take a a couple plane trips to get there, and I'm going to be in the air for a total of nine hours, or at least you know the, the trip itself is going to take nine hours, layovers and those sort of things. And I want to watch content. Well, instead of renting these movies as part of my fourteen ninety nine or nine ninety nine or whatever it's going to be, whatever we hope it's going to be subscription service, we can actually download those movies and watch them within that 24-hour window. That would be plenty of time for me to say, oh, I want to watch these four movies on my trip to San Francisco, uh, download them to my iPad and my iPhone, or maybe three on the iPad, one on the iPhone, whatever, and thus I could watch them when I'm not connected to the Internet. That is... I think, is what Apple could offer that would blow Netflix and Hulu out of the water. And that's the kind of service that I want to pay for. You know, the technology in our computers have come a long way over the last 20 years. From user interface to um, speed to storage. I mean, we're at the point now where most people, not everyone, I'm, I'm... I'm not foolish enough to assume that everyone is on broadband at this point, although I think everyone should be. Uh, It's just that these huge multi-conglomerate, huge businesses aren't running fiber or cable to rural areas yet. Um, Everybody should be on broadband, but unfortunately it's just not there yet. So we've got super fast access to the Internet, We've got processors that are so fast we can't even take advantage of it most of the time. Even in video editing, you're, it's very rare when you actually max out the cycles on your CPU, especially if you have like a quad-core or eight-core Mac Pro. I mean, those things are just so powerful, and we're not doing anything to tap into that potential for the most part. There's some people, I'm sure, scientists and government work and nuclear physicists that are, but you and I aren't. (laughs) You know, we're just not. And we have hard drives now that, while they're not instant on, they're so fast it'll blow your mind. And, of course, I'm talking SSD, in which case I hope if you're at all interested in SSD, make sure you check out the Otherworld Computing line of SSD drives because they're just so fast and amazing. They really are. They're so reliable They're so fast, much more reliable than uh, a standard hard drive that's mechanical and spins and is is so delicate that it's amazing that they work as well as they do. But we have all this cool technology now, and it really has come a long way in 20 years. Just look at the iPhone, look at the iPad. Those are computers. I know a lot of people like to think of the iPhone as it's a cell phone 
But it's really a computer. That's really what it is with phone capabilities. But regardless, we've got this great technology, but there's one technology that, in my opinion, big truck. Okay, big truck's gone. There's one technology, in my opinion, that hasn't changed nearly enough to keep up with the times that really needs to be addressed, and that's printing. Printing, to be quite honest, is horrible under Windows, Linux, the Mac. It's, just, it's, it's a crapshoot. It really, really is. I can't tell you how many people that I've had to help with the same problems over the last 20 years when it comes to printing. The print dialog boxes are horrible. You buy a new printer. Sometimes it works right out of the box with your Mac. Sometimes you have to go download an updated driver. and It's 2010, and we're still dealing with print drivers. Don't you think, maybe I'm alone in this, but don't you think that the operating system should be at the point now where when you plug in a printer, your computer just knows what it is, configures itself and the printer automatically, and you don't even have to think about it. If I'm printing a photo, it should pop up. What size do you want this to be? A very simple dialog box. The printer should automatically know, okay, I have photo paper, glossy photo paper loaded already. So if he's printing, I'm going to print this photo on glossy photo paper. If he's trying to print a document and I'm loaded with glossy photo paper, I should give him a message. Hey, the printer has glossy photo paper. Do you want to print on glossy photo paper? Yes or no? If you say no, then you know you need to change the printer. A dialog box will come up. Please change the paper. But that's not the way it works. Printing today is almost identical to the way printing worked from dialog boxes to actual technology to put ink to paper as it was 20 years ago when I was on or 15 years ago when I was on my Performa 410 printing to a style writer. It's, it's almost identical. Are you kidding me? In 2010, this is the best we can do? Printing needs to change. So here's a question for you. What would you change? How would you make ch- printing easier? Um, self-configuring printers that just talk to the computers and the computers talk to the printers and let these two machines deal with all the complexity and let me just hit a button that says print this. For the printers to be intelligent and the computers to be intelligent enough to know that there's a difference between printing this picture and a document. That if I want to print at a certain size, it should be intuitive what button I push to get the type of print that I want. That if I'm printing on a normal piece of paper and I've got two pictures selected and I say, okay, I want this printed at 5 by 7 in a very easy on-screen dialog box where I just click a button that looks like, you know, 5 by 7 picture. It should be intelligent enough to go, okay, you know what? We've got a piece of paper in here that will accommodate two pictures on one paper, so he wants to print these two pictures. I'll print them both on the same piece of paper. But right now, it it doesn't do any of that. It's just a crapshoot. 
whether it prints correctly at the right size, the right resolution. <sighs> Maybe I'm asking too much on what the technology should be like at this point in time. But I don't think that I'm being unreasonable about this. I think in the year 2010, printing should be a lot easier than it is. Do you agree? Disagree? I think a lot of you agree. I I think this is something that most people don't really think about too often. But when you really get down to it, it hasn't changed in 20 years. It's The dialog boxes are almost identical. The options that you have to get into the advanced features of the print dialog box, is it's, it's identical. It hasn't changed. And it needs to change. Now, honestly, I don't print all that often. I doubt many of you do either. But I do like to print some paper. or I'm sorry, I do like to print some pictures on some glossy paper, put them in frames, and hang them up on the wall. I've got a real nice digital camera and, and a DSLR now. I don't need to go to a photography studio to, to get really good pictures. So I, I can do that at home and put it on a real nice matte photo finished paper and print it out and it looks like it came from a studio. If I can get the stupid thing to print right. Mm. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just grumpy in my old age. I don't know. So I saw that the people that was working in the office have left, or at least they're not up there right now because they just came out and got into a van. So I'm going to head back to the office because I have some listener feedback. I'm going to play that next. Remember what I did last episode? I had the computer actually read the feedback. I'm going to do that again. It's not as long, but uh, I kind of like that. So let's go listen. From Marian Minarik. Hey, Tim. Just a few thoughts on iTunes. To be honest, I completely agree with you when it comes to rewriting iTunes from scratch. I assume that by old code you meant that it is still written in carbon, and not cocoa, which encourages it to play with Apple's beach balls way too often. I don't think that changing the concept of the software is necessary. At the moment, I like it as it is, but if Apple manages to come with some awesome new interface, I'm not going to protest. However, I think it is time to change the name. To be honest, I expected it almost a year ago at the last September event, but they just went with iTunes 9. You said it yourself, iTunes is about so much more than just the tunes. Apple has history of changing brands and product names when it makes sense. Apple Computer became Apple Incorporated iPhone OS became iOS and I think this particular one is overdue, big time. Care to take a guess? iMedia? I hope not. Let me know what you think. Thanks a lot for the uh, email, Marianne. Yes, you're right with me on a couple points. Number one, iTunes is still written using old cold and code in carbon and not coca. It needs to be started from scratch in Coca, that would allow us to have a true 64-bit version of the software, which would make it more robust and more stable. But I do mean starting from scratch, not just with the code base, but with the way the application actually works, our interaction with it. We're used to the way it is right now, so we kind of take it for granted. 
But I think, and and I said this on the last show, I really do think that if Apple was coming up with iTunes right now for the very first time, uh, I don't think it would look or act anything like it does now. I think it would be totally different. I think it would be a lot better, a lot more intuitive to use. And I think that they would probably break it up in a way that would make more sense now that they offer audio and video. They Audio being um, music, the music store, iTunes Music Store, and the iTunes Movie Store and the iTunes televisions and the podcasting and the apps. And it's so big and, and so bloated at this point. I really think that if Apple was starting from scratch and – and all of the services were brand new. I don't think it would look anything like it does right now. And I think they would have much better ideas on how we would interact with and use the program. So, yes, it needs to be rewritten using Coca. And, yes, it needs to change the way it does what it does, how we interact with the program. That needs to happen, my opinion. So the other part of uh, your question, what would it be called? You know what? They have so much capital invested, and not just money, but in mindshare of the iTunes name, that I just don't see them changing that anytime soon. Now, the change from Apple Computer to Apple Incorporated kind of needed to happen because Apple isn't just a computer company anymore, and they needed to expand. The same thing holds with the iPhone OS becoming the iOS because the iPad, the iPad and the iPod Touch are not iPhones. Thus, it kind of limits their accessibility to an outside user seeing, well, this is running something called the iPhone OS. This isn't an iPhone. So they did need to mature and change that name. Apple basically has two operating systems at this point. They have the Mac OS and the iOS. And the Mac OS runs on a variety of hardware. And the iOS runs on a variety of hardware. Uh, where those two will eventually lead and kind of become one. I don't know if that'll ever happen or do we even want that to happen. But I don't think they're going to change the name of iTunes. There's just too much money invested in iTunes, the name, at this point. Um, When you watch a show like, say, American Idol, you might see a thing for Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Simon's on Twitter, whoever. Uh, You might see a thing of on Facebook, be our friend on Facebook for American Idol. But you also see download your favorite artists from American Idol in iTunes. And I'm just using American Idol as an example because my wife likes that show and I'm forced to watch. Um, There's a monetary value that's in the billions at this point with the name iTunes. So that's not going to change. I totally agree with you. It's it's more than just the tunes. Um, but it is what it is. That being said, I think it needs to be rewritten from scratch, from the ground up. Pretend it's a brand new app, just kind of like they did with iMovie. Uh, of course, they made iMovie worse. <laughs> That's a material for this conversation, really. <laughs> it was it was it was great, and then they completely destroyed it. Hopefully, they wouldn't do the same thing with iTunes. Although I'm not confident in that assessment. Um, but they, I think they just need to they, they need to change it up. They need to how we interact with it, how it handles media files, um, 
how it syncs with devices faster, quicker, more reliably, how it downloads, uh, all that needs to change. And how we organize our music, how it works with playlists, uh, just the concept of playlists, I think, needs to change. It needs to ex- it needs to grow and become more fluid on the way we're using the software and organizing our content. Um, if you look at iPhoto, it it hasn't been rewritten, but it has changed as far as how you create playlists and stuff. Now you have you can sort by faces. You can go in and look at events. Uh, you can't do anything like that quite yet on iTunes. You can make playlists or smart playlists, which it's kind of the same thing when you get right down to it. Um, the smart playlist, obviously, if I selected all AD, ACDC music and hit smart playlist, it's smart enough to go, okay, we're going to name this ACDC because that's pretty much what you've got. Um and regular playlists is I name it and I drag whatever I want in there in whatever order I want, that sort of thing. Speaking of order, here's a request for somebody at Apple in the iTunes division. Please do this for me. If I buy an entire album and it downloads to iTunes and I select those songs and I make a smart playlist out of them because I just downloaded it and I want to sync just that playlist, just that album to my iPhone or my iPod. Can you put the songs in the correct order, Apple? Really? It's a crapshoot on on what is where and what song it plays first, and it's ridiculous. I don't want to have to go in there and micromanage the order these songs are going to play, as long as I don't have random play on. Um, I, I want it to play in the same order that they're sold in or that they're on the CD or they're on the album in or what have you. That's the order I want it. Don't just arbitrarily change that order because it really does make me mad. So there's that. So if you can't tell with all the noise in the background and it comes and goes, the workers are back next door. And I think the uh, new tenants might actually be moving in because the floor is shaking. My desk is shaking. They're not being very careful over there. So I think it's about time to wrap up OWC Radio number 33. Can't wait to get down to the new studio where I don't have to deal with, well, that. Uh, before I do, there was two more things. Tapulous, really good company, uh, makes some great iPad, iPhone software, uh, like Tap Tap Revenge. That's them. They were acquired by Disney Interactive. That's pretty cool. This is the kind of, I, as far as I can remember, this is probably the first big acquisition to happen for an app developer. I mean, to get taken over, get bought out by such a a big company. I think it's kind of exciting. Kind of shows you the maturity of uh, the app development and where it's going to go. And uh, last, Peter Cohen. Um, he's over at the Loop, LoopInsight.com. Wrote a really good article: the top 15 must-have games for the iPad. Uh, Peter's a good guy. He was on OWC Radio number five, and he was on OWC Radio number 14 when we were live on the main stage at the MacWorld Expo 2010. So make sure you check that out. I'll put a loop up in the show notes. Now they're starting to make a lot of noise next door, so got to wrap it up. Make sure you go up to visit www.maxsales.com. Great deals going on right now. Make sure you check out the Data Doubler. Awesome product. See you guys next week.